On May 19th, 1780, men and women across New England woke to a wholly unremarkable morning. At sunrise, the work began as it was always going to. Lawyers sat down at their desk to arrange papers. Farmers made their way out to the barns to milk their cows. And masons and carpenters began gathering their building tools. Each of them was blissfully unaware that history would come to refer to this date as New England's dark day. By mid-morning, everyone could see that something was clearly wrong. As the sun continued to rise, a wall of rust-tinted cloud slowly began to engulf the morning sky. The darkness and the gloom grew heavier until midday grew as dark as midnight. In the darkness, New England was thrown into chaos. Candles had to be brought out for businessmen to continue writing. Cows returned to their stalls thinking night had fallen. Stonecutters had to give up on their work entirely, so encumbering was the darkness. A clergyman, clergyman named Timothy Dwight would later write, a very general opinion prevailed that the day of judgment was at hand. Some grabbed their families and made a beeline for the church to pray for mercy. Others threw down their work and sprinted to the nearest pub for a drink, dancing through the streets and inviting others to come and be damned. When asked for a spiritual explanation of the event, one sarcastic reverend retorted, I'm in the dark about this matter, just as you are. People fainted from fear and foreboding of what was coming upon the world as the text from Luke came to life around them. These people, shaped by a thousand small unconscious stories, suddenly became acutely aware of one story. And they all looked to that story to answer the same question. What stands waiting for us at the end of history? The darkness lingered on into evening, and bit by bit, all had cleared by the next day. Centuries later, scientists would claim that the explanation was simple. A raging forest fire in the north had sent New England enough smoke and ash to blot out the sun and the moon. It was hardly the second coming of Christ, they scoffed. All the same, can you imagine? In that moment, the ways that their pastors and their parents had told God's stories had an immediate effect on the way they were prepared to greet their future. The stories to which they clung determined whether this was a day of hope or a day of despair. Even in calmer circumstances, in more subtle ways, these stories have no less power to shape the way that we see our world. And I believe that the author of Luke was aware of this power. I believe that the author of Luke was acting as a pastor concerned with telling the right stories. Because he recognized that for better or for worse... These stories shape our lives. To understand this more clearly, we have to look back two millennia. 
Several decades after the resurrection, God's people are still struggling to understand who to be in light of this new eschatological age, inaugurated by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The testimonies in Scripture give the impression that many consider Jesus' return imminent. Some texts refer to false prophets, pointing to current events and suffering as sure signs that the end was near, while others seem to be growing impatient. Meanwhile, tensions between Rome and Israel continued to heat up until tempers finally flared and a group of Jews rebelled. Rome, predictably, responded with annihilation, recounting the horrific details of the war. Josephus tells us that soldiers slew the aged and infirm, sending most of the adults into Egyptian mines. The more unfortunate were sent as gifts into the provinces to die in their theaters, cut down by swords for sport and wild animals. The rest of the children were sold as slaves. And then Rome went a step further. Scaling Mount Zion, they ground the temple of God into dust. Rome cracked the very foundation of Jewish identity and left them with nowhere to go. The Jewish Christian responses must have been varied. Jesus was supposed to come back, some must have exclaimed in despair. The time was fulfilled. Rome should have been overturned. This suffering should have ended. Have we been taken for fools? Still others must have been convinced of the contrary. This is it, they would claim. The kingdom must be coming. We can take it easy now. We can hunker down and we can wait. The stories by which they were learning to orient themselves began to blur as a confusing haze set in. And it is in the midst of this scene that the author of Luke picks up his pen dips it in ink, and begins to write. With prayerful discernment, he tells Jesus' story again. Jesus didn't care about all of that, he seemed to say. Remember? Remember the story? Jesus never cared about setting an eschatological timeline, and he certainly never saw suffering as an excuse to give up on God's promises. Remember how he rebuked the scholars who tried to put him in a box. Remember how he remained obedient in the face of torture and death. Remember how that fidelity brought life out of death. This is your story. Your story is one of enduring faithfulness in the face of suffering. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Just like the story told by Joel and Isaiah, remember. The seas will roar and rock, just like the story of Jonah. Remember that. But though the nations are a roaring sea of confusion and the thought of tomorrow makes everyone faint with fear, though the whole cosmos may reel in chaos, hold fast. Things are not as they should be. God's kingdom has not yet come.
but it will. You won't know it until it happens. Until the Son of Man descends in a cloud, not unlike the cloud that covered our tabernacle so long ago. Remember that story? Remember when Daniel told us this story? God is faithful. Let us also keep faith, hope, and love. Let us stand up and raise our heads, never stop, never stopping praying for God's help. This is the sermon that Luke preaches. This is the story that Luke tells and retells. And even after 2,000 years, it is the story that we tell every week. At least, we try to tell this story. I think if we're all honest, though, when texts like this roll around in the lectionary, we hesitate. Our feet get a little cold. Stories about the end have just become a bit embarrassing. They're so often mishandled, turned into stories that inspire fear rather than hope. And there are already enough of those stories going around. Many of us don't give enough credit to this story. We forget why it needs to be reclaimed and retold. The truth is, stories are more powerful than we may often realize. For mentoring this semester, I had the opportunity to read a book called Hope in Pastoral Care and Counseling by Andrew Lester the late professor of pastoral theology at Bright Divinity School. In it, regarding the power of story, he writes, a narrative cannot exist without a plot. The story must always answer the question, where is it going? We will find that hope, although rooted in the past and acted out in the present, receives its energy from the future. In other words, humans cannot help but see themselves in terms of time and in terms of story. Our stories have a past, a present, and a future. And just as a person's behavior and outlook is influenced by their past story, it is also influenced by that person's idea of their future story. This sheds some light on the depth of grief we may feel when we lose a loved one or a job. Because every story we had imagined for our future is lost as well. Where we had once assumed that we would be stepping forward into stories of companionship and security, we must now turn to frightening blank pages that may well be filled with loneliness or helplessness. On the flip side of that coin, many of you know that Claire and I are expecting our first son, James, in the next few weeks, if not today. Now, James is already a huge part of my life, although only in future stories. The way I envisioned my future nine months ago is far different from the way that I envision my future now. And it has a very immediate influence on the way that I live Stories we imagine for our future, informed by our past, have immediate ramifications on our present. A good good future story opens us up to hope, 
while a poor story leaves us vulnerable to depression and despair. I wonder, for instance, how a refugee fleeing from persecution might imagine her future story. I wonder how a man sitting at his bar stool complaining about the meaningless repetition of his life might imagine his future story. I wonder how an ancient Jewish family, watching as their homes, their leaders, and the temple of their God are reduced to ash, might imagine their future story. What do they have left to look forward to? Most of the stories we tell ourselves aren't big enough. They can't fit their arms around both the pain and the joy. They aren't good enough. In a world threatened by stories of despair, we have the chance to tell a story of hope. Just like the author of Luke. He looks around and he sees the hardest, the most painful and disorienting things that the people of God face. And he names them. He doesn't shy away from them. He doesn't write them off. He writes them down exactly as they are. And then he widens his lens. He puts them all into the context of the cosmic divine drama. I wonder what might he say about the events in our recent history. He might say, your brothers and sisters will be systematically hunted and subject to mass extermination using the most efficient modern methods available. Your governments will stand on the brink of global destruction. Our planet's temperature will rise, our environment will decay, and no one will agree on what to do about any of it. But this is not the end. Face these things with steadfast faith. Lift your heads, push your shoulders back, and respond to all with the self-sacrificial love that your God showed you. God will never stop springing life from dead soil. God will never waste your suffering, and one day God will bring all things to a perfect, just end. And this is where we come in. We tell the story of a loving God who began history, who is intimately involved in history, and who stands at the end of history, waiting with open arms, beckoning us into the kingdom. We tell the story of a future rich with good, infinite possibilities. We tell Jesus' story of facing suffering with obedient fidelity and life bursting forth from the grave. This is the story, and we are the storytellers. On New England's dark day, there was one man who neither ran to a church nor a pub, It so happened on that day that the Connecticut House of Representatives was in session. 
Naturally, a great clamor arose as many legislators thought that the parousia was upon them. Some lawmakers called for an adjournment so they might pray and prepare for the coming of their Lord. But in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, the speaker of the house, Abraham Davenport, called out with a clear voice. This well may be the day of judgment which the world awaits, he said. But be it so or not, I know only my present duty and the Lord's commands to occupy till he come. So at the post where he hath set me in his providence, I choose for one to meet him face to face, no faithless servant frightened from my task, but ready when the Lord of the harvest calls. And therefore, with all reverence, I would say, let God do God's work, and we will see to ours. Bring in the candles. When the end of days came for him, he felt no need to change a thing. No faithless servant frightened from his task. He lived the story by lighting the candles and continuing to work. We live the story by holding out the candles. Every year, every Advent, we set out the candles on the altar, lighting one each week, keeping the story ever before our eyes as we wait for the Advent of Christ. Candle by candle, we tell the story over and over, illuminating a future that is filled with hope, that is filled with possibility. May we be faithful to that task. Though the powers of heavens be shaken, though the sun and the moon be darkened, though the nations be a roaring sea of confusion, may we raise our heads and may we stay alert. May we know only our present duty, never frightened from our task. And may we never stop telling the story. Amen.